Our text today comes from Mark 10, 17 through 31. Listen now to God's holy and inerrant word. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you, Jesus Jesus said. Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray together now as we approach God's word together. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we, we plead with You that You would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, that we would hear the voice not only of our Maker, but of our Redeemer. And Father, though we all come this morning from different places in life, some of us... Um, maybe even dangerously too comfortable, Uh, so comfortable that we have come failing to recognize our deep dependence on you. Others come this morning and they are heavy, heavily burdened uh, with their doubts and skepticism about you and about the good news of the gospel. There are others who come that have doubts and are struggling with assurance, and then there are those who simply feel the burden of hypocrisy in their lives that feel and sense the great distance between what they claim to be and what they actually are. Um, There are those of us who are struggling hard with our brokenness. Father, however we come individually this morning, our prayer is that you would help us. That you would help us to see that Even though the symptoms vary, we're all in the same position together this morning. The foot at the, the, the ground at the foot of the cross, it is level. And we all find ourselves there far more broken, far more sinful, far more twisted and corrupted than we could ever 
even imagine about ourselves. And so we need to hear the wonderful good news of the gospel this morning. We need to hear and be reminded that even though we are more broken than we can be, we could possibly imagine that we are also in Jesus because what He has done for us, we are at the same time more loved and more secure and more accepted than we could have ever dreamed possible. Father, cause this good news to fall upon our hearts and change us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to do something. Before we start, um, I'm going to go back to that passage in Mark chapter 10. Um, and if you have your Bible, uh, you could turn there. I, I just want to read the few verses that come before our passage, because I, I want to mention them this morning when we get to the text. But um, if you begin in verse 13, going through verse 16, let me just read this. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. It'll take me a minute, but I'll get there. Um, This Christmas season, um, we're going to be considering together a particular theme uh, during the Advent season as we head into Christmas, and that theme is rest. Uh, We want to see and be reminded during what for most of us is probably the busiest time of year for us. Um, And in the midst of all that busyness and all the background noise that's going on in our lives, it can be very easy to miss um, hearing the good news of the gospel at this time of year. That Jesus came, and He came to give us rest. He came to give us deep, abiding life-altering and life-shaping rest. And here, here we are in Mark chapter 10, which probably doesn't immediately look like it has anything to do with rest, but hopefully we'll get there as we work our way through the passage and through this story. But this is a very interesting story for us to be looking at together, because in it, this man came to Jesus, and he came to Jesus with a very simple and a very basic question, right? He asked, He asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You think about that. This man basically came to Jesus, and he basically said, tell me how to become a Christian. I mean, he came to Jesus. He came to the author of Christianity with his question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But here's the problem. Okay, and it's why this passage is not only interesting, but also a little disturbing. As soon as Jesus heard, as soon as Jesus asked the question, the two of these men, they started having a conversation about this man's credentials. He seemed to be a righteous man. He seemed to be a very good man. He was, he was very moral, and he was a wealthy man. Matthew says that he had great wealth, and Luke tells us that he was a ruler. So he's moral, and he's powerful, and he's wealthy. He's the cream of the crop. So why might that be a problem for us? And why was it a problem for this man in this story? 
Because I think that what this passage is really saying is it's saying that people who have it all together cannot have Jesus and cannot have eternal life. Let me state this positively and negatively just so that I can hopefully be clear. This passage is saying that if you've got your act all together or if you are striving in this life to get your act all together, you can't be a Christian, Jesus is saying, and you're on your way to hell. But on the other side, he's also saying this, if you don't have your act together, and if you're a mess, and if you're broken, then there is all the hope in the world because the, the doors of heaven, the doors of the kingdom are wide open to you. You see, the problem with Christianity and the problem with Jesus' kingdom is that it looks so upside down to us, to you and me. It completely flips upside down and reverses your way of thinking about life. We lead with our strengths. We lead with our ability, right? We value our independence, our self-sufficiency, our successes in life and our accomplishments. Then in a passage that's so basic, you get one of the hardest truths of Christianity to swallow, which is this. It turns your world upside down. You can't have Jesus if you've got it made. And you can only have Him. And you can only have the rest He promises to give. If you're a mess, and you know your brokenness, and you know your sin, it doesn't compute, and it doesn't really make sense to us. But embracing the upside-down king and his upside-down kingdom is the only way to find real deep, life-altering and life-shaping rest. So I want to walk through this passage with you, and I want us to consider these three things. The problem with our ability, the truth of our inability, and finally, the depth of God's ability. So first, in order to deal with what Jesus said in this story, we need to begin by addressing the problem with our ability. You see, you have to think about this man in this story in the right way. If you look at this passage, you'll see that the disciples, they were in shock at what happened here. Right, twice in verse 24 and in verse 26, Mark wrote that they were amazed and they were astonished at what happened. They were in shock. They couldn't believe what was happening. But why? Because this man did have it all together, and Jesus sent him packing. Right? If any, they were looking at this situation, and they were saying, if anyone can get in the kingdom, surely this man could get in. You've got the issue of this man's money, which we'll talk more about in a minute, but wealth to these men was a sign of God's favor and a sign of His blessing. Uh, they were looking at this man and they were thinking, God blesses this man, God takes care of him, God made him successful, God obviously loves this man. I mean, they're saying, Jesus, isn't this the kind of guy we want on our team? But don't stop there. Look at how righteous this man was. In verse 19, Jesus listed all, all those commands. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal, don't defraud. Honor your parents. And to that, this man said, no problem. I've kept all those commands. No problem, Jesus. I have a handle 
on morality. I'm a good person. And here's what I want you to see. Jesus didn't call him a liar. I mean, Jesus accepted what this man said about his own morality. And that should hit you square between the eyes. That should hit you hard if you're paying attention. Jesus didn't say, well, what about that one shady business deal you were involved in? That's lying. Or what about that time you mistreated your parents and you broke the commandment about honoring your father and your mother? He didn't say any of that. He accepted this man's claim to morality and to goodness and to righteousness. And here's what I'm saying. This man, he really does look as good and as clean as they come. God was blessing him and he was keeping God's commandments. And the disciples were looking at this man and they were thinking, what in the world is going on? This has to be the poster boy for our movement here. This has got to be the poster boy for Christianity. But what does someone like that ask Jesus? He asked Jesus this in verse 17. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And maybe it's subtle, and maybe you just read over it very quickly when we read the passage earlier. But he was saying to Jesus, whatever needs to be done, I'm able to do it. Just tell me what I have to do. How do you know when your ability has become a problem? It's when you think you can do something to make God happy with you. It's when you think you can leverage your goodness and your morality to earn God's smile upon you. It's when you feel like you have in you what it takes to please Him. It's when you think, just, I know I'm a mess right now, but just give me a little time. I'll straighten this stuff out in my life and God will be happy with me again. But let me ask you, if that's you, then why do you feel so horribly insecure in your life and so very, very empty? Why do you constantly worry about whether you've done enough to make God happy with you? Why do you feel overcome with guilt when you fail? And why do you, when you do well, why do you swell with pride and look down on those around you? Here's what I'm asking. If that's you, why can't you rest? Why can't you rest? It's not your flaws that get in the way. It's your ability that gets in the way of coming to Jesus and finding rest in Him. In those verses I backed up and, and read, um, in Mark ten fifteen, just two verses before this passage, Jesus told His disciples, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And now they have an illustration of it with this man. We have, uh, this is a little confession time for me. Um, we have four children, five, seven, nine, and 11. And they're sitting in the back. Um, and uh, we all know the milestones when you have children, right? You know, baby's first tooth, baby's haircut, baby's, you know, first steps that they take. And you take pictures of it and you save that tooth and that little lock of hair. You stick it in the 
baby book or whatever, and it's cute and it's precious and, and all of that, but it's not nearly as important, not nearly as monumental or as worthy of praise as when you can say, my child can now dress himself. It is a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful day for a parent. My child can now feed herself. That's a huge milestone. Um, my child can now bathe herself. In reality, any stage of a child that a child can begin taking over personal hygiene is huge for a parent. Um, but listen, babies, little children, they can't do anything for themselves. I mean, they are totally dependent on their parents for everything. You wake them up, you put them to sleep, you carry them around everywhere, you feed them, you change their diapers, you bathe them. Here's what they do. They take, take, take. That's all they do. And I know that children are a blessing and they're cute, but they are exhausting. Um, They really are. And unless you put away your ability and come to Jesus like a little helpless dependent child, you cannot enter Jesus' kingdom. You'll never find the deep, life-altering and life-shaping rest that you really crave in life and that you were meant for and that you desperately need in life. You see, our problem when it comes to our ability is that we think it's an asset to Jesus, and He sees it as a hindrance. He sees it as a problem to being like a little child, to being needy and dependent and helpless. Without that, you cannot have eternal life, and you cannot have Jesus. The famous Southern author, Flannery O'Connor, she wrote a story called Wise Blood, and in it, speaking of the character Hazel Motes, she wrote that there was already a deep conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. That's the problem with our ability. It keeps us from falling before Jesus like a little helpless child. Some of you think you are so good, and it's keeping you away from the kingdom. Some of you are so convinced that if not now, then one day you'll be able to get your act together. And it's keeping you away from Jesus. Let's move on. Second, we need to see the truth of our inability. See, Jesus said some really hard things in this passage. He told this man to empty his bank account, to sell all his possessions and give them away to the poor. That, I think you would agree, is extreme. right? Then he said stuff like it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God. Basically, he's saying here, it's impossible for the rich to get in. And the problem that we have when it comes to passages like this that have these hard sayings and these hard words is that we are incredibly wealthy. As Americans, we are incredibly wealthy. I mean, hopefully I don't have to tell you that most of the people in the world are not driving $25,000 trucks and typing on $1,500 computers and talking on $500 iPhones or whatever they cost now. And they're not living in three-bedroom houses. 
We are incredibly wealthy in America, and you can look this up. If you're an American and you make more than $50,000 a year, you are in the wealthiest 1% of people who have ever lived in the history of the world, on the face of the earth. And Jesus was speaking to the wealthy. Give it all away, he was saying. And it's impossible for the rich to get into the kingdom. And immediately we want to apologize for Jesus, don't we? Right? Oh, that's hyperbole. Jesus didn't really mean that. Um, and if you're not willing to admit it, I'll admit it for you. <laughs> I really, really want to take the edge off of this. Soften it a bit, right? Um, but unfortunately, we can't do that. And we have to ask this question, what in the world is going on in this story? In verse 21, Jesus said to this man, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And then Mark wrote this, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. There are so many people in the gospel stories that come to Jesus sad and leave happy. I mean, the pages of the gospels are littered with their stories. The leper, the blind, the thieves, the adulterer, they come to Jesus sad and they leave happy. But not this man. Not this man. And what they all had in common was that they were all helpless, and they knew it. Look, I don't think Jesus' command here is for every single one of us to give away all of our possessions. Uh, It's not a blanket statement for all of us. Though I will say this, it could be for you. I don't know. Jesus was pointing his finger at the thing in this man's life that was taking God's rightful place. And it was his wealth. It w- his wealth had become his identity in life. It had become his security. It was his hope. It was the thing that defined him. It, it was at the very core of who he was. And he couldn't give it up. The truth of his inability, he could not walk away from it. He couldn't give it up. He didn't come to Jesus helpless. He came with his security and his identity and his status and his hope all wrapped up in his wealth. And you need to wrestle with this. It isn't so much the bad things in your life that keep you out of the kingdom. It's the good things in your life that keep you out. Because it's the good things in your life that have become ultimate things to you. And you're unable to let them go and they're keeping you out of the kingdom and they're keeping you away from the rest that only Jesus can give. Why? Because we place our hope in them. Right? When we were made to place our hope in God alone. And those good things, they will never give us freedom. They will never give us the rest that we so desperately want. In fact, they do the very opposite. They turn us into slaves. I mean, this is why Jesus said in verse 23 how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And then in verse 25, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. He couldn't leave his wealth. He had become a slave to it. He wasn't free at all. He couldn't muster up the strength. 
He couldn't muster up the willpower to walk away from it. And maybe it's your wealth that's become ultimate in your life, and you're enslaved to it, to a hunger and a thirst for more and more. Never satisfied. It never quite feels like enough in your life. Or maybe it's your reputation, and you have become an absolute slave to everyone's opinion of you. Or maybe it's your career and your status, and you've become a slave to it, and you're what we would call a workaholic. Or maybe it's your appearance, and you've become a slave to the exercise or to the latest diet or whatever it is. I don't know what it is in your life. It could be one of a million things. But you felt it, I know. It's not so easy to stop pretending in order to protect your reputation. It's not so easy to give your wealth away. It's not so easy to get off the performance treadmill. No, in fact, I'll tell you what it is. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for you to quit. It's the truth of your inability, your inability to give those things up and follow Jesus and find real rest in your life. I'm going to tell you, it's just a stupid story. It's a silly story, and it's about me, and it's going to sound very junior high, but it is true, unfortunately. Um, And I have more sophisticated and complicated stories that are examples of this in my life, but this is pretty straightforward. It was in our first year of marriage, and Jennifer and I, we were young, still buzzing a little bit with romance, Um, and Jennifer and I, we went jogging at a park that was near our house, and after our little jog at this park, we were walking around this path that followed the, uh, this little pond or whatever. And so we're walking, and you had to walk a ways on this path in order to get to a bridge, in order to cross over a little creek and get to the other side of the pond. And I was looking at that creek that we had to go around, and uh, I was wishing I didn't have to walk all the way to the bridge. And so I turned to Jennifer and I said, I bet you I could jump over that creek. And I don't know what kind of response I was expecting, but it really hurt me that Jennifer didn't even pause to think about it. Um, I mean, she didn't break her stride, none of that. She just kept walking and said, no, you can't. And, um, you know, I was hoping for maybe a playful kind of, um, I bet you can't do it, you know, something like that, or why don't you try might have been something. Um, But just a blanket, you're an idiot. You'll never be able to make it across. Um, You know, stop Stop wasting oxygen by talking to me about this was kind of what I got. And it probably didn't even register for Jennifer. Um, but silly as it was, it stung my pride, right? I was a college athlete, believe it or not. I could jump over that creek. Um, is she, I mean, she was saying in so many words, you have got to see the truth of your inability. And it stung What Jesus says here, it is supposed to sting. And it's supposed to hurt a little. It's supposed to injure your pride. Your ability is what gets in the way of being like a little dependent child. And you are unable to just walk away from your riches, whatever they are. See, if you're following this conversation in this passage, you'll see this. The disciples are watching all this happen. And they were saying, if this man can't get in, then we're in trouble. What hope is there for us? 
I mean, this is what they said in verse 26. Then who can be saved? Right? If he can't get in, then what hope is there for us? And I'm telling you, they were where we need to be. Face to face with the truth of our inability. And you know what Jesus was saying to them? He was saying this. You're right. And it's going to take a miracle to save you. He was saying, you can't do anything about your inability. He was saying, your only hope is that God would intervene. Your only hope is that God would begin to peel your eyes off your wealth, off your relationships, off your reputation, off your beauty, off your status, off your whatever, and put them on Jesus. You and I, because of our inability, we need a miracle to get into the kingdom of God. You see that in this passage. So finally, let's turn to look at this passage, and I want us to see in the last point the depth of God's ability. Look at verse 27. Jesus said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Jesus was saying, you cannot rescue yourself. You'll never find rest outside of me, but only deeper and deeper slavery. It's going to take a miracle to save you because with you it's impossible. But here's the good news. All things are possible with God. Do you see the good news? Do you see it this morning? For there to be hope, God must intervene. And the story of the Gospels is that God has intervened. The theologian Sinclair Ferguson, he wrote this about this passage. Eternal life not only has God as its goal but also God as the source and beginning. This this is what Jesus was saying in verse 27. He was saying God's grace is complete from beginning to end. God isn't saying to you, figure out how to get in the door, and then I'll take care of the rest once you're in. He is saying, I will be the one who comes and rescues you from beginning to end, and I alone am able to do that. I was thinking a lot about my kids this week because of what Jesus said about needing to be like little children. And I caught myself thinking, um, what what was it like to be a one-year-old or a three-year-old? Not that I can remember being a one-year-old or three-year-old, but, you know, what did my own kids, when they were one, two, three years old, what did they worry about? What were they anxious, what were they stressed out about? Nothing. They were free. I mean, when you are dependent is when you are actually free and you can rest. And don't you want to be free? And don't you want to be able to find rest for yourself? You know, when, we're talking, when we were talking in the first point about the problem with our ability, we said that we become horribly insecure in life when we think that it's up to us to do anything to get into the kingdom. You never know if you've done enough, or maybe if you've blown it too big this time, you feel like, and you can't rest. But when you're resting in Jesus for everything, because you see that you cannot do anything to inherit the kingdom, when you're resting in Jesus because you understand how total your inability is, then you're free. Because Jesus says those things you are looking for, Security and identity 
and significance and to know that you have value and to know that you're lovable and to know that you're worthy, all those things that you're looking for. He says, when you give them up and come to me, you'll find that I give you them completely. And that's really what he's saying in the last part of the story, though I don't have time to get into it much, but Peter basically said, what about us? You know, we left everything to follow you, Jesus. What about us? And Jesus said, those who, those who leave things for me, they will receive them back a hundredfold. Let me put it to, the, to you this way. Jesus was saying to Peter, you didn't lose anything when you came to me, Peter. You didn't lose anything. But you gained everything when you followed me. The needs you are looking to, to be met in everything else, in your wealth, and your reputation, all those things we mentioned earlier. Jesus is saying, Jesus, he will meet those needs a hundredfold. Why would he do that for you? Why would he do that for me? Because he is a God of grace. And he loves to take what is impossible and make it possible. I mean, this is the very essence of Jesus' glory. That he takes the undeserving in this life and he crowns them with glory and honor. And he seats them with princes. And he gives them an identity and a security and a worth that will last forever and ever. You know, there's so much in this passage that we didn't get a chance to talk about, but I do want you to see one more thing as we close. Jesus told this man to sell everything that he had and give it to the poor and follow him. And when we hear that, very rightly, I think, we think that is extreme. And you know what we start thinking? We start thinking immediately, no one has ever done that. It's got to be hyperbole. No one has ever given up everything like that. Well, there was one person who did give up everything, and that was Jesus. He left glory. He had riches beyond compare, riches that you and I, we can't even hope to imagine. And he gave it all away, and he entered into poverty. The king of kings who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Where was he born? Not in a palace, but in a manger. The king of kings whose glory the heavens cannot hope to contain, the psalmist writes. That king tells us that foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He came and was born in a manger, and he lived his life penniless and homeless, and he did that for you. What is the Christmas story but the story of the king who gave up everything, who gave up his riches for you? And I want to tell you that the only way you can ever begin in this life to loosen your grip on the things of this life that you look to for significance and meaning and identity. The only way you can get free of that nagging emptiness and find real rest, the only way to make that go away is that you would find yourself captivated by this story of this king and believing 
and trusting in him. That Jesus, the eternal son of God, he left glory and he did it for you. He came to be born in a manger without a home, to be stripped of even the clothes that were on his back when he suffered and died on the cross for you. And he calls you, he calls you this morning to follow him. And if you do, you will find your identity. You will find your security. You will find your hope and your significance met in him. He came into this world to give you rest. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you for the good news of the gospel that is clear even when preachers struggle and stammer and have trouble being clear. Father, we thank you for the good news that Jesus came to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Father, we don't long to be childish in this life, but we do long to be like little children. Set us free, we pray. Allow us to see with new eyes our total dependence upon Jesus to do everything for us. Help us to flee from what we hope what we place our hope in and our ability. Help us to see the truth of our inability. Help us to see the depth of your ability to rescue and save and to take the undeserving like us and crown us with glory and honor. Father, we pray that this good news of the gospel, that it would change us, that even in this Christmas season when we find ourselves so busy, we would remember the rest that is ours in Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.